they'll run all of the information they have about you through these data enrichment platforms, name and email. Uh, that's all we needed in order to make the show work. And those platforms give you social media info, you know, age demographic info, photos, like all this stuff. As soon as somebody buys a ticket, you have their contact information. And then you can use that to kind of extrapolate a world around this person and then use that personal data. Busted open this file cabinet and you pulled out a dossier. The dossier was actually on you. So we kind of had this underlying current of like data privacy and do people understand data privacy? And the answer is no. And the photos of the people in the dossier were people that were connected to you in some way. We just wanted to help make that transaction be a little bit more transparent for people. The border between reality and fantasy in the current day is really what we're trying to approach. Hi, I'm Nathaniel Skye the host of the Immersion Nation podcast. Here, the masters of immersive experience create and conjure, muse and imagine the cultural revolution that is unfolding before us. That is immersive entertainment. Welcome. By now, most of us know that we don't fully understand exactly what happens to our data how companies use it, how it gets used for us and potentially against us in certain instances, depending on what we want out of our online experience. Our guest today, Justin Files of Any One Thing Productions, is coming in from London to chat about his unique background as an immersive creator, coming from the world of tech, we talk about tech security, data usage, and using an immersive experience to create awareness around something very real while being incredibly unique and entertaining at the same time. Hope you'll enjoy this conversation as we meander through the immersive ether, as we do. Justin, welcome to the show. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. This is awesome. Yeah, thank you for coming on. Um, And thank you for uh, being willing to kind of chat about what the the uniqueness and neat stuff that you guys are doing i have yet or this is my first conversation the first interview with a creator from london which most of our stuff focuses on the u.s just because that is kind of where our where we're trying to draw our audience into being involved with immersion um at this moment in time anyway but what you have going on is just so unique and incredible that i could not resist uh bringing you on yeah, thanks for having me. I mean, as you can probably tell from my my accent, my background was in the was in the states. So um, it was kind of a really happy surprise when we decided to start the company here. The the richness of the ecosystem here. There's just so many great shows and so many people creating awesome stuff. Like even down at the Vault Festival um, down you know in South London, um, just these shows that you can only see here in London. It's just really neat. Yeah, definitely. And for our listeners, um, if if there is a little bit of a background noise coming in, uh, could you explain a little bit about where you're at presently? Yeah, so we are located in Shoreditch in East London, um, right behind the Club Cargo. There's like a couple of Banksies outside, a bunch of spray painted walls, and I'm directly in a railway arch. So there's the overground goes directly over me. So about every three or five minutes, you'll just hear a train passing over. So hopefully um, all the listeners get to enjoy that as much as we do. <laughs> the good train ambiance. Beautiful. Um, 
So just to start off with, um, if you could pick any fictional or uh, fantasy, what have you kind of world to live in and play whatever role in, what would you choose? What comes to mind? I, as soon as I knew that you were going to ask me this question, it's funny because like there's the answer that I really want to say, even though it has it's nothing we would ever do with with the types of creative that we do. But um, I like the first world that I really got immersed into was um, the Brian Jake's Redwall series. Um, I read like all those books when I was a kid. And for those of you that don't know, it's about this. It's sort of like this hero's epic journey um, over like a million books. But they're all like mice and little animals. Um, and for some reason, that was just something that really, really took me in when I was a kid. Yeah, wonderful. Um, that is the first time I've had anyone mention Redwall. And I definitely I definitely think that that's an excellent one. Um, that, that world is so extensive and almost comes from like a historical standpoint. It's incredible. It does. Like it's hard to believe that it doesn't exist like that, it, which is what I guess what we talk about, you know, in, in immersive entertainment. But, you know, it's that edge of reality and fantasy. Yeah, most definitely. Um, so for those listening who might not be familiar with your work, could you explain just what any one thing is? Yeah, so we are a theater company that produces work at the edge of sort of reality and fantasy. So we produce hyper real, generally drama. Um, and one of sort of the like hallmarks of, of a production that we'll do is it generally takes place with the real world being the set. So um, on our on our production recollection, which just wrapped up in May, um, the first like 20 minutes of the show is just on the streets outside London Bridge. Um, and in our next show, it's actually going to take place in volunteered living rooms. So we're going to have a new set every night. Um, and we're going to set up and tear down within these living rooms using things like Internet of Things devices, Philips Hue, Sonos, and stuff to control the lighting and sound uh, so that it's lightweight and easy to set up and tear down. Yeah, that's brilliant. That's brilliant because the the infrastructure for immersive shows is definitely a tricky thing, but I, I love it when people get it creative in so far as being like, hey, we are going to find a way to make make this show up in its in its form in whatever given form it might be wherever it can i was going to say and for us when we're producing you know our our universe that we produce our shows in is fantasy but i mean it's so close to reality i think a lot of people think of when immersive entertainment like you need to go out and create this crazy fantastical world like disney world does or secret cinema or um you know the crystal maze or, you know, something like that, where you have to build a big set. We don't do that. So what we do is we use the actual world as the starting point. And then you realize there's not a whole lot you need to do to turn that into something that fits within your universe. And so, you know, in, in recollection, um, aside from building a couple of different sets, we, we also use some audience personalization stuff. So you, when you broke into uh, this room and, and, and busted open this file cabinet and you pulled out a dossier, the dossier was actually on you. And the photos of the people in the dossier were people that were connected to you in some way. Um, and so we, we can do interesting things like that or like sending a certain text message or, you know, changing the mood and the lighting like a little bit so that it evokes a certain feeling. You can do subtle things like that. And you actually don't need to create a really giant set in order to do that. Um, and I think in some ways it actually makes it feel even a little bit more real as opposed to having to suspend your disbelief as a guest um, that the world around you is kind of created for you. Yeah, without a doubt, without a doubt. Um, there's 
there is a lot of very set heavy kind of experiences and a lot of, I've often seen people kind of taking a different gateway, a different entry point um, for immersion through social immersion, through the acting component. But you use data almost, I mean, obviously you do have the acting component as well, but you use data in this really interesting way to, to have that entry point in a really, really novel context. Um, could you explain a little bit about what you guys do with data? Definitely. I do also want to say, though, that the narrative uh, for our shows is front and center. So although we do use stuff like data, it is actually the narrative and the, and the wonderful acting by our leads that, that drives the story forward. Now, I find that in a lot of, you know, shows that, that are producing these really big sets, it's more about the visuals and the spectacular uh, kind of nature of it than it is on the narrative. Um, so for us, it is narrative driven. Um, we also are able to do stuff like the data personalization. Um, what we did in recollection is, so we have the advantage of being kind of coming, coming from very backgrounds at the company. So a couple of us come from sort of the tech world, a couple from the theater world. And so we're able to work together and, and blend, um, not only the technical expertise into the creation of, um, you know, some of the devices we're able to use technical devices, but, uh, we're able to, to, to put some of that into the plot lines and into the storylines of what we're creating. So in recollection, you follow the protagonist, Sarah, um, and she kind of woke up on this park bench with no recollection of her past. And she slowly pieced it together with the help of her friend, Josh. Um, and she realizes there was this company called Memorius that she used to work for. Um, and they specialize in memory deletion procedures. And, come to find out she used to work for them and she was doing some of the, some of the early testing for it. And when they got private equity backing, their tune kind of changed. And instead of being kind of altruistic, helping people out with PTSD, helping people just clear their minds a little bit, they realized there was a way to monetize all of those memories that they had stored, like, like a cloud storage company or something like that. Um, and so she enlists the audience to go break into the place where they unbeknownst to them until that point, also had that procedure done and steal back their own personal data. Um, and what we did was we used some of the same techniques that like sales organizations will use uh, when you have like a customer relationship platform where people are writing in and you're keeping track of your sales prospects. Um, they, what they do is they'll, they'll run all of the information they have about you through these data enrichment platforms. Uh, and those platforms like, you know, give you social media info, you know, age demographic info, photos, like all this stuff. And then you can use that to kind of extrapolate a world around this person and then use that personal data. And honestly, we, we collected people's uh, name and email. Uh, that's all we needed in order to make the show work. Um, and so we kind of had this underlying current of like data privacy and do people understand data privacy? The answer is no. Um, and uh, trying to you know educate people to a degree, but without having an opinion on it. It's really like if you want to use your Facebook to log in to get free, you know, Nike wristband or something like that, like go for it. Um, but you know, we just wanted to help make that transaction be a little bit more transparent for people. Yeah, most definitely. And it's a topic that is so kind of invisible, I think, to the average consumer of you know anything that has to do with electronics period essentially even if it's not necessarily yeah. directly a screen um 
I, I think it's really, really cool that you're leveraging or had been leveraging that to create awareness around that. Is that a component of the upcoming show or is that <clears throat> no. shifted away? I mean, we'll still probably do something. Well, we, we want all our experiences to be personalized to some degree because that's just kind of a hallmark of what we do. But will we be doing kind of like the dossier based thing? Probably not. Um, data privacy isn't particularly a topic of our next show, um, but we are going to talk about digital legacy, um, mortality in, in the in the digital age, in the social age. Um, what is it? What is your, you know, are, is people's perception and memory of you even, you know, post your life? Uh, is that actually you or is it this kind of presence that you've cultivated online? Um, those are some of the topics that we're going to be talking about in the next show, which which we're really excited to approach because they're kind of dark topics, but uh, also something that, that we should be talking about because it's actually reality now. And that's something that immersion definitely does particularly well. It it creates this space to have those types of conversations in a way that it's not that it's personal, but not personal enough that it's still difficult to talk about. And it opens this world where those types of things can be explored. Yeah, totally. So on recol- on the note of recollection, um, I have to ask, was there any inspiration drawn from uh, eternal sunshine of the spotless mind? Yeah, we get that a lot. Um, the, the writer Richard Pucci is a big fan of eternal sunshine. And I, I mean, the storyline really wasn't the same exactly, but yeah, there were a lot of the themes that, that were similar. And, uh, I mean, it's just, a, it's a great film. And, uh, the same can be said about some of the, the black mirror episodes, uh, that are there, that are out there. Like they just approach some of, some of these exact same topics that we want to approach We're you know, 20 years later than eternal sunshine now. Right. And so ha- how have those topics kind of changed? What's become reality? Um, what is still complete fantasy? Um, and you know, the, the border between reality and fantasy in the current day is really what we're trying to approach in near future. Yeah, yeah, and that border is certainly coming up on becoming a little bit more blurred, especially as uh, VR it becomes really more, is, more sophisticated. It's so funny because, like the the idea of you know a company having your memories or whatever. I mean, it's like Facebook is that right, and like so is Google Drive and Dropbox. Like, what a memory could be photos. A memory doesn't need to be your actual brain memories. So the idea that there's this company Memorius that stores your actual brain memories. I mean, yeah, that's fantasy, but is it really that detached from reality? I mean, I guess that's up for the, the guests to decide. So to the extent that you can elaborate on it, um, cause obviously there's an element of, uh, of discretion or secrecy that's necessary in order to keep kind of an element of surprise in any given experience. But to the extent that you can, how are you, within narrative context, framing the conversation around uh, digital legacy and mortality and identity and all that stuff in your upcoming show? Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, we're, we're still in the process of creating it. We don't go into, um, into previews until September 17th, I think. Um, and, but I will say this, it's going to take place in sort of a house party style setting. Um, it's going to be an audience of 10 people. Recollection was an audience of six people. Um, and it's going to be in volunteer departments. So every single night is going to be a different location. Um, we're going to, it's, it's going to be, uh, the tickets are going to be given out in sort of a lottery basis. We're not going to release a ton of information about, um, the, the actual contents of the show until you see it. Um, and we're going to, you know, select, um, people for each show that are, 
you know, are somehow, whether they live or work or they're somehow associated with the area in which the show is being performed that evening. Um, the idea being that, you know, if you give us, you know, some zip code that you want to see the show in, we want it to be in a place that you actually go, you know, you're around that area a lot. Like if I were to go see one in Kensington in West London, I've been there maybe I don't even know if I've been there since I moved here, to be completely honest with you. So if a show were to take place there, it wouldn't really be real to me. Um, but if I were to see one in Shoreditch or if I were to see one up in Camden where I live, I walk down those streets every single day. And my perception of that area would be forever changed. And that's what we're that's what we're trying to do with the next one um, so that it brings those topics, which, of course, people who are going to be at our show, um, you know, are going to presumably be alive. Um, but it will bring those topics a little bit closer to home. Um, and I don't know, maybe, maybe we will be able to convince people that they are in fact dead. I don't know. I, I don't know where we're going to go with the audience participation part of it, but, um, it w it will definitely approach those topics and it will be in an area that you, you know, consider to be something close to you. Yeah. Yeah. That, that in and of itself is a really fascinating dynamic as well. Is that kind of why you've decided to use various locations and volunteer apartments for the setting? Uh, we're actually going to do that for all of our shows going forward. Um, whether they're volunteer, you know, residential spaces or whether they're volunteer commercial spaces, we just think, you know, our, our shows take place in types of places that exist in the real world, like, um, like apartments and like offices and like laboratories and that sort of thing. We could go out and build those things for an enormous amount of money um, and have them almost look real, or we can use the real ones. And, and that's sort of the direction we've decided to go. Another big piece of it is that like, we want to be a financially sustainable company so that we can continue to create these amazing, uh, sort of narratives that, that sometimes you can't do if you have to keep going and getting grant funding every single, every single show. And we want to be able to scale up these shows to be worldwide so that we can employ as many creatives as we can to work on these shows at, you know, great, uh, great rates and, and, you know, always at least equity rates with, um, you know, with pension and, and, and so forth and holiday pay and everything that, that you would look for an employer. We, we have an issue in immersive theater production where a lot of people don't play by the rules and, you know, actors who, who don't make, you know, insane salaries anyways, are being asked to volunteer for things or being paid under the table um, and don't have job security. And we, we don't want that. We want to support the entire industry, especially the creative side of the industry. Yeah. And it's definitely quite difficult to start from that place. Cause I know even, I think it was, I'm not sure whether it was immersive or punch drunk um, started the either sleep no more in New York or the original impetus of sleep no more there in uh, London with volunteers that then turned into stable work, but starting from that place, I can't even imagine how tricky that must be. Yeah. I mean, punch drunk is just a great example of a company that's been, you know, kind of pushed the boundaries of what, of what it means uh, to be a, an immersive theater company. I mean, they're, they're somebody that we look up to at this point, but yeah, you're right. I mean, they were around for, they were around for 10 years before or close to 10 years before sleep no more even came out in London, then it went to Boston. They, they were a nonprofit to start out with. Once they partnered with Immersive in New York and started making some money on it is when they converted their company. Uh, well, they have the nonprofit arm still, but you know, Sleep No More Shanghai is, is on Punch Drunk International, which is for profit. Um, and we, I, I guess to a degree, that journey 
you know, for them to get to the point where they're creating this great work and they're actually making money doing it and they can choose what works they want to create that journey. We can now look at and say, okay, well, these are the parts of it that we want to replicate, but these are the parts that we really don't want to be a part of. Um, and, and you know, what you just mentioned is, is part of that, that, that we don't really want to do that. Um, but that's not to knock punch drunk. I mean, they've done, they've done a really great job and, you know, Felix is just a genius. And I mean, if you go and see sleep no more, it doesn't even matter if you watch shows normally or not, like it's going to be something that blows your mind. Yeah. Without a doubt, without a doubt. And in a lot of ways they were kind of building a model that then creators like yourself can then look at and be like, okay, here is this thing that was built. Now we can do it with that, that precursor to have a little bit more to, to not have to be walking in blind. Exactly. Like it's so easy to look at it and be like, Oh, well they should have just done this part, but not this part. You know, they had to, they had to stumble their way into that. And, you know, we're doing this and, you know, we have an idea for, for how we want our, our business to be, to be sustainable and to be able to grow globally. But, you know, we're going to stumble our way there. You, you can't just like chart a chart a map and then plot your way through it, you know, perfectly in a perfectly straight line. So, you know, thank the mistakes of others are, are definitely going to help us. And, and, and hopefully we, we can pay that forward as well. And, and other companies want to be, you know, self-sustaining and want to pay minimum rates and, and all that sort of stuff for the creatives as well. Definitely. So to maybe sit, switch gears a little bit here, would you be game to jump into the make it immersive segment? Love it. All right, so I know that Redwall is definitely a tricky place to start, given that all the all the characters within that series are animals. But with your with the way that you guys approach creating and crafting experiences, um, how would you go about turning using your particular brand of personalization to kind of make a Redwall, at least a Redwall esque universe? Yeah, it's a great question. I mean, like that is, I knew this was going to be thrown back in my face too. Because <laughs> I love it, but it's like, it's exactly the opposite of reality. Um, but I would say like the first thing that we would do is look at what themes there are um, in, in those stories. And like, they're all like epic journeys. Um, they're all, they, they, they exist within a world, but they actually jump around in time periods. So like there's, you know, you'll jump ahead a hundred years, back a hundred years, whatever. Um, and they're all animals, but like, if we were to do it, we would probably extract themes and perhaps a story and perhaps characters, um, that, that they approach in maybe one of the books. Um, but then we would make it something that took place in modern day and probably with humans, not animals. Definitely. Ooh. Okay. Here's, here's a curveball of some degree to throw at you. Um, it just occurred to me insofar as the idea of using, using data to personalize an experience, I wonder if you could do something uh, paying homage to the historical texture of the Red Bull world, um, doing something yeah. like using Ancestry.com or something of that nature, looking at someone's lineage to then weave a narrative out of where they where their historical background is or something of that nature. I don't yeah, know. That's a great. Yeah, you're totally right. Like that. That is how we would have to go about it. Like it would be we couldn't say, cool, you exist in this world where mouses live in castles, mice live in castles. Like you, you just wouldn't be able to do that, but you're right. Like we could say, actually you descended, uh, from this mouse named Matthias, um, you know, and, and, uh, and, and then 
you know, approach some of the, the very same themes um, and the very same sort of epic journey that they have to go on, but in the modern day and using those people, you know, almost like if we, we could do something like um, just kind of ripping on what you just said, instead, like almost like there's a new religion or something and the, the holy book of some kind is like set in the red wall world. And so all of these allegories that are supposed to dictate the way that you behave and what your morality is are based on like these mice from, from the, the middle ages or something. I think that something like that could be really interesting. Oh, I mean, that'd I guess be incredible. The, the way to, to, for us to incorporate fantasy is exactly like you said, like you just make it a distant thing or a distant future thing, but then you set the time period in the present. But what you can do is people, you know, are leery on, on suspending their disbelief when, when they have a story that's just unfolding and it's kind of shoved into their face. But as they slowly start to buy into it and as they get excited about it, you can get a little bit more extreme. I think a good example of that is, you know, M night Shyamalan movies. They're, they're, you know, hyper real, sort of at the beginning and by the end like maybe the end 10 minutes you have like a monster crawling on the walls and it took the entire buildup of that you know of a film to get to that point um but by that point you've suspended your disbelief enough that you're like wow this probably could exist in this world um and that's where the sort of the the line gets blurred between reality and fantasy. And, and that's what we try to do. So um, I don't know if you could, if you were to incorporate costume or something, it would be kind of at the end of the story there. Oh yeah. Yeah. I, I've never, I mean, okay. So the context of the hyper real or realistic fiction slash fantasy has definitely come up quite a bit um, insofar as like, you know, poking at Gabriel Garcia Marquez and that ethos, but the idea of using that real world to amp up, and leaving that the like explicitly fictional portions until the end is something that ha I have not encountered before, but that makes a lot of sense. I really like that. I think it's effective at the very least. Um, I think it's hard to, I, I, I think you can't be half-assed about it. So like either you have to say, Hey, you're entering fucking star Wars world, or you have to be like, you're definitely in world. And if you're saying you're definitely in the real world, you can't be in the real world, but then have somebody dressed like Han Solo, you know, it, it, that doesn't make sense. So you need to at least, you know, push yourself kind of in that direction slowly so that people are willing to suspend that disbelief. Yeah. Yeah. Cause onboarding is such a, such a big thing within the world of immersion as far as figuring out how to do it, how to get people to either suspend their disbelief or just slowly do it. And just doing that slowly instead of having it be like, okay, this onboarding thing has to happen in the first, you know, five, 10, 15 minutes, whatever. Instead of having that, it's, Hey, we are going to make this whole experience, some form of onboarding and let that whole that, thing draw you in. Totally. And that brings up another piece of the technology side of things, which is that when, you know, as soon as somebody buys a ticket, you have their contact information. So there's no reason that the world can't start there. And there's no reason that the world needs to end the minute that they walk out of the location that is being performed or there's several locations where it's being performed. Oh, um, like man, once yeah. the actors leave, there's no reason that they can't get a physical letter in the mail a week later. That's in world. Um, it wouldn't be branded with our theater company, but it would just be in world. And it would be, it would be part of the story that's still going on. Um, and you can do some lead in stuff too. I think the place where this fails and again, not to knock, another show or anything, but, um, like secret cinemas, blade runner, it was great. You know, it was really, um, 
it was quite a spectacle. It was, it was there was so, like the set was unbelievable. Um, but like as soon, when you were buying tickets, like right after you bought tickets, you had to like make a profile and they like assigned you a character. And it was like kind of mostly in world. It was like, uh, branded, uh, as like the, the big company, like, you know, tech or whatever the company from Blade Runner is, it was like branded that. And like, you yeah, it was like, I think I'm doing this cause I need to do it for the show, but like maybe it's part of the story and it just kind of, it straddled that line. And I think you just got to separate the two. You got to be like, this is in world. The people that you're talking to are characters, um, you know, start to suspend your disbelief now. It's a little bit easier for us because the guests don't assume character roles in our, in our shows, they play themselves. Um, so they, they, when they're interacting with the, the set and, and the characters, they're like, I'm just Justin, this person that's at a show or, you know, later on in the show, I'm Justin, the person that's breaking into memorias. Um, but it's, it's always just me. And I just behave the way that I, as a guest would normally behave. Um, yeah, I take on my own personality. So that makes it a little bit easier to do personalization, um, or, uh, you know, storyline extending or world building before or after the show. Cause they're just going to respond in the way that they normally would as a human. Definitely. So to switch directions ever so slightly, um, insofar as your lens and considering um, the, once again, the kind of personalization that you work with, um, what do you think, what do you think is the value of play? Sorry, can you like, can you say that again? What do you think is the value of play? In what respect, like in, in the sense of the audience having to fully buy into it? Um, in the sense of, in your context, um, kind of the, the way that you guys work with awareness and the way that you guys work with the real world, um, as the real world, as or, or characters being themselves and having the overlay of real elements. Well, I mean, <clears throat> the storyline still needs to be very concrete and, and, and understandable. And so if that's not, you know, a fully written storyline that's evolving around the, the guests, then it's not really going to be believable or have any impact or be entertaining for that, for that matter. So, I mean, it's really important that the characters, um, even if they're improvising some, you know, they have solid characters and we, we do solid character development and the story really, you know, progresses and, and concludes and, and is something that evolves around the people. Um, I think there's a fear in the immersive industry in particular of um, putting a show on rails, meaning, you know, it's sort of linear. Um, but there are plenty of ways to do that and still have a really strong linear storyline. And I think a great example of, of doing that is in video games. There are tons of video games that have that are these free wandering, quote, you know, exploratory games. And then there's a cut scene for, you know, three minutes and then you're back in the game. But at the end of the day, you're just going from the beginning to the end of the game. And there's generally one storyline that you follow unless you're playing like a big MMO world. So sorry for the interruption. Just had a brief technical malfunction at this point in time in the recording. We had both primary and auxiliary recording systems fail on us briefly. We are going to jump right back in with the remainder of Justin's answer to the previous question. 
in theater um, is a way that you can give people the freedom to take in the parts of the story that they wanted to explore the world as much as they want or as little as they want or to be as withdrawn or to be as, you know, um, involved as they want but still have a story deliver a message. Um, and if the people are able to suspend some disbelief, maybe, you know, they, they get a little bit more out of that message or maybe they don't, you know, I don't know. Um, but I think that play sort of evolving around them and having this world that they can, if they would like to enter, then I think that's where they start to connect with the message that you have in the show. Yeah, most definitely. Most definitely. Um, so I'm curious, like what, what was the impetus for any one thing and the, your whole team coming together? Like what was the origins of that getting going? Bro, the story is like, it's random really. Like I, I had worked with my co-founder Paul before at a tech company, you know, 10 years ago and we knew we wanted to do something together. And we kind of started from, from more of a tech side, like one of the ideas that we had, which has been done um, to, to varying degrees of success before um was maybe having like an app or, or an audio file like a like a podcast or something um that was like that's a, a fictional narrative but it's a walking tour so it actually knows where you are like gps wise and as you're walking there's triggers and stuff happens and but all the characters and everything that it's talking about is totally fake it's just like this fictional storyline so like you could like walk through you know, the Upper East Side in New York, and it would be like pointing, it would say, hey, look up to your right, see that window like that, the person that lives in there is actually this, this person. Um, but that person's not who lives there. It's just, it's just part of the story, which is a cool idea. And like, I still like the idea of augmented reality in that way. And we preserved a lot of that sort of in what we do now. Um, but as we started thinking about the logistics of building that, like, I don't want to build consumer technology. It, it, it's hard to build and like people don't want to download new apps. It's really hard. That's what my background was. And that's not something I really wanted to do. We also wanted to have consistency of experience. Like we want everybody to have a good time. And that's really hard if people are just showing up and kind of doing it however they want. So we were like, all right, well, we'll have, we'll have starting and stopping points for it. And like, we'll time block it. So you have to start it at a certain time during the day. And then if people don't have headphones, we'll give them headphones or like a device if they don't have a device. And then if they're starting at certain times during the day, then we can actually have actors that pop out. Maybe extraordinary stuff can happen while they're on this ordinary walk. Um, and then like literally as we were describing this, we're like, wait, this is just theater. Like it's not an app. What we're talking about is theater. And so that's where that switch started to happen. We started working with writers and uh, we were lucky to find um, our company manager, Annie Walsh, and uh, our now artistic director, Sophie Larsman, um, over here in London. Um, you know, Sophie was over at the National Theatre um, working on a telltale heart before, before she directed Recollection. And uh, to get, you know, introduced to these people and then have them get excited about what we're doing, that is one of the London miracles that kind of blew my mind to be completely honest with you. Um, and it just kind of evolved from there. You know, everybody has, has their input and, and we just work really well together as a team. And, uh, and yeah, it was just great producing the show and it ended up being a great show as well. Wow. That's really incredible. I mean, you see immersive shows and immersive creators coming from, coming from theater, coming from haunted houses, coming from a multitude of different backgrounds. Um, but I don't think I've encountered one that comes from the anchor point of tech before, or at least in that way, by any stretch of the imagination. Um, so that's definitely really, really intriguing. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely a strength of ours. I mean, I'd say, I mean, a strength of ours in the sense that half our company comes from one background um, and technology is 
to a lot of degrees underutilized. Also, business models that, that you have to do uh, to, to build a technology business, those just don't exist in theater. Like there's basically two models in theater. One is subsidized, one's commercial. They both play by rules that they've played by for 100 million bazillion years. Um, that there's just not a lot of business model innovation there either. Um, but there's so much that theater is like a 3,000 year old practice has evolved that's really positive and and you know we can really learn from and so coming together and building stuff just makes us a you know greater than the sum of our parts to a lot of to a lot of degrees yeah most definitely most definitely it's a interesting age of recombining and adding and finding new ways to do different things and i, I think that you definitely hit on something interesting there with the business model too because theater theater i feel like you know started with you know, storytelling and the great orders of the Greek era. And I mean, obviously before that, um, but thinking of kind of the origin of the word thespian, um, but then it, over, over time, it then just kind of became narrowed down to this is what theater is. This is how you engage with it. This is how you work within it. And I feel like immersive suddenly opens a whole lot of doors for, for there to be more options. Yeah, I mean, definitely. There's 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 a lot around the you know the the history of theater, obviously. Um, but I think it's when you get stuck in you know sort of like uh, the same circle over and over again, or you get stuck in the same rules. Like it's the people that break out of those sort of like repetitive things that those that's where a lot of creativity gets unleashed. And I know that it's kind of you know gauche to say we want to have a sustainable business model and be extremely creative and artistic individuals and as a group. But, you know, if you're going to get grant funding every single show that you need to produce, it's not like you have complete creative control over it. Like there's things that we're like, if we were to go right now and try to get a grant to do a VR production, we could probably get a bunch of money. Um, I don't think I would want to produce a VR production right now, given, given the landscape. Um, but that would sway our, our creativity in a certain direction because that's where the money is. And until we're sustainable, then our money will always dictate our creativity. And we don't want that to be the case. We want the business model to work. And then us producing cool stuff that, you know, one group of people might like or another group of people might, might like something else. We can produce that knowing that the business stands for itself. Yeah, without a doubt. So, um, as we were exchanging emails, getting ready for this chat, you had sent a long list of, uh, bullet items that are topics that you'd be interested in or want to talk about. Um, is there anything inside of there that you kind of want to dig into a little bit or unpack a little bit? Let's see. I got to go back to our, I got to go back to our list. Luckily it's at the beginning of the, uh, the email here. Let's see. Um, <clears throat> Oh, new work and adapted work is interesting. Like I, I do think um, it's there's this draw to remake. Like if you do something, if you create a show that you know is you know Stranger Things or James Bond, which are two secret cinema ones that are coming, you you can have that draw. You can bring in those the fans of those brands that already exist, and so that makes it really enticing to want to latch onto one of those brands. And I think, you know, like even, even punch drunk, um, they're, they do adaptations, um, in the case of sleep, no more, it's a Shakespeare adaptation. 
And you, people kind of know that. And so they know the story kind of going into it. And so it makes it a little easier to digest. I, I worry a little bit that it, it can be, I don't want to say a crutch because all the things I just mentioned are great productions. Um, but I, I do think where the, you know, immersive as a, as a blanket sort of medium, um, which in and of itself is very diverse. Um, but as a medium where that's going to excel is when there's something that works better in this medium than it works in any other medium. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like, yeah. there are some stories that make great video games, but they make shitty movies. And, and like, we don't know what that is. I think in this medium yet, we don't know the amount of audience participation that works. It's like when the first films came out and there were films that were like three hours long and there were films that were like five minutes long. And like, there were some that had music and some were silent. Like nobody really knew what the format was that worked for film. And now we've kind of settled on, on, on what works and keeps people's attention and the types of genres that work on film and that sort of thing. And I think we're still trying to figure that out in the, in this medium. Um, and I, yeah, I don't, I don't have an answer to it, but I, I just think, it's important to keep your mind open and, and to, even if you're doing an adaptation, I guess, like say, what is it that works really well and what can we use to our advantage here? Yeah. Without a doubt. That question certainly is incredibly important. It's why, why here, why this medium, is this something that we're just pulling from something else and trying to lean on another form? Or are we actually furthering the, the extent of the medium here? I, and like, again, not to, I'm definitely not putting anything down, but like when, when Wolf of Wall Street is becoming an immersive show, like obviously they're going to try to get people to not, you know, get shit faced and do a bunch of drugs at it. But like minus getting shit faced and minus a bunch of drugs, like does that story work better in an immersive nature or, or does it work better as a book or as a film? I don't know the answer. Um, but I mean, that, that's the type of question that we should be asking ourselves and where when we're producing these types of work, because yeah, a, a big name can get in a lot of, a lot of people to come see the piece, but if the piece doesn't work in the medium, I don't think it does a uh, whole loads of favors for us as an industry. Yeah. Yeah. Without a doubt. And, and I really like the comparison to film that you use there because I think that this really, that this really is the time that thou that that is the question around immersive. We are essentially at the beginning of this medium, similar to the beginning of film when it was like, Oh, Hey, this is, you know, we don't even know what different shots are. We're just going to record a thing. And like that, that is the entire film. Um, there's so much exactly. evolution to come to the point that I, we will probably use the word immersive in our, in talking about our productions, but I don't think we're going to use it when we're talking about, when we're talking about our company. Because I think it's, it, some people think of it as a genre, which isn't right. Like it is a medium, but it's such a diverse medium that it's really hard to, to, re, to ex, you don't want somebody to come to the wrong conclusion, I guess is, is what it is. It's like, and since there's no actual definition of what makes the medium right now, then everybody comes to a different conclusion. Probably the conclusion is similar to the last one of these things that I saw. And if that was sleep no more, then our show is nothing like that. And if it's our show, Sleep No More is nothing like that. So, you know, I think that that could be cause for confusion in that sense. Yeah, that's a really, really good point because, of course, you know, us running with the name Immersion Nation, it does, it does kind of bring up the really important conversation that needs to be had that is, hey, maybe, you know, because we speak to a lot of people who are just coming into Immersion and don't really have a whole lot of context or background in it. And I think it is really important and also somewhat difficult to convey, Hey, 
you know, this is immersive, this thing that we're talking about is immersive, but it's not like an escape room. It's not like, you know, whatever context you have, it's, there's so many different ways to approach and understand it. It's like incredibly important to communicate that. And that's exactly what happens, at least for us. Like if people saw secret cinema last, or if they saw, if they went to an escape room last, the first thing they'll ask when we say, Oh, you know, I work in immersive theater, like, Oh, kind of like an escape room or, Oh, kind of like sleep no more. And I'm like, well, no, no, well, but you know, we do this, this, and this, the word immersive has gotten me nowhere there. In fact, it's probably, I have to walk my, I have to walk the person backwards and then back forwards again to understand what we do. Um, so, you know, I think where the strength comes is that part where you say, no, 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 not that, but blank, like that blank is how we should be describing the types of things that we produce, I think. Yeah. Without a doubt, without a doubt. Um, really, really excellent food for thought there, especially on my end, just thinking about representation and all that stuff and how one presents themselves, presents a brand, et cetera. Um, but we are unfortunately coming up on time here. Um, so as we wrap up, could you tell folks how they can find you, find your work, um, et cetera, et cetera. Definitely. So we're called Any One Thing. Um, in a couple of weeks, we're going to um, start gathering names for the first ticket lotteries. Again, it's we're just doing 10, 10, 10 people. So one show a week for the first three or four weeks of the show. Um, so we're going to we're going to be selective with tickets there, um, but you're going to be able to sign up, um, put in your, put in your zip code. And when a show comes near you, we'll let you know. Um, that's going to be in a couple of weeks, just any one thing.co.uk. I'm super excited to get feedback from everybody too. I like staying after and, and chatting with people after the show and, and just seeing what people thought and using that in our creative process. So excited to see people there. And if you uh, have any more comments, just email me at justin at any one thing.co.uk wonderful and uh for context there's a video that um you actually sent me to give a little bit of context for your previous show i will link that up in the show notes um and one these guys are doing some really really unique and incredible stuff so if you happen to be in their neck of the woods i highly recommend that you guys go check them out and if you're super into theater in general um there is more than just the West End in London. There is so much cool stuff here. So if you're into immersive theater or just theater in general, come on over and spend a few days and, and I'll you know tell you, tell you what types of shows are, are on and stuff like that because there really is a lot of cool stuff here. It's worth a trip. Without a doubt. Well, Justin, thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you so much for having me, man. Calling all immersive adventurers, explorers, connoisseurs, and artists. The immersive revolution is just beginning. All that is to say, we would love any feedback that you might have on the show. What do you want to hear more of, less of? Anyone in particular you'd like us to have on the show? I would love to hear your thoughts. So please rate us, review us, or just drop us a line on the website at immersionnation.com. I always love having conversations about this wide and wild world that we are both living in and creating. Once again, this is the Emergent Nation podcast. Thank you for joining us in this adventure.